Uh, can you guys hear me? Yeah? You know, it's really cool. I'm, I'm excited that Jesse and Tori are moving here. I told Jonathan already that uh, probably within five years, the way Jesse is, I've, got, I've worked with him now for 20 years. I knew him as a student when he got reached at the campus at KU. Um, within four or five years being here, Jesse may be the mayor of Manhattan. <laughs> I mean, he is amazing. Um, I got to work closely with him at Fort Scott when we were reaching the football team there and working with the, the coaching staff. And Jesse, it, he's like Mr. Fort Scott. They already put him in leadership Bourbon County. He's already, he would have been the mayor of Fort Scott if he would have stayed there. I mean, he is amazing at building relationships. Um, and, you know, I don't, although Tori's moving to Manhattan, um, she's my primary assistant. She works with me daily at Call to Greatness, so I, um, I definitely don't want to lose her, so we'll maybe have to have an auxiliary office in Manhattan for Tori, um, because that's, that would be rough. But I love the getting in position analogy, um, and what, what's cool is, you know, being that we're part of a church network, that we have the churches in Kansas City and Lawrence, Topeka, and Manhattan, it's cool to see people like Brendan and Kendall who get reached at KU and Jesse and Tori who got reached at KU and are part of a movement and they feel like God's calling them and yes, they feel like that's their home and that's their family, but Brendan and Kendall also making the move because, man, they want to grow. They want to see the kingdom of God expand and they, want, they feel like, man, they can do a good job of that here and that's going to grow their faith. And So I'm, I'm, man, I'm, I'm excited about Manhattan. I think definitely the stock in Manhattan is on the rise and um, it's going to be great. Um, one more thing I wanted to say about, uh, say about one of the announcements on Poland. I've been there a couple years now. Um, I will tell you, uh, one of the biggest objections I've been getting lately is, oh man, there's a war over there in Ukraine, Poland's on the border of Ukraine, my parents aren't going to let me go. Listen, we're six hours from the border, and if there's any hint that there's bombs and missiles flying in Poland, we won't be going. Okay, so don't worry about that. Tell your parents it's all good. We're going to be actually near the border of Slovakia and Czech Republic. And so, but we will be working with Ukraine refugees and um, Polish uh, teenagers, Ukraine refugee teenagers. So it's a great time. The Polish people are very welcoming. Um, and the gospel is going to be spread when we're there. So um, I hope you can make it. Or, or if you're interested, uh, just talk to me a little bit. Um, all right, so today I want to talk about how you can make your life count in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God. And, you know, as a young person and as an older person, I've had this thought, how can I make my life keep counting? You know, when I was 21, I, I wasn't a Christian, and I was, I was just thinking about how can I make the most money I can make um, but at the, at the time. But when I became a Christian, I thought, man, how can I make my life count in the, in the kingdom of God? And now at 48 years old, I'm still saying, how can I make my life count? I may not have as many years. I want to make sure that everything I'm doing is, is, is I'm making an investment, and it counts. And it counts. And so this morning, I want to start with just reading the text. We're only going to do two verses this morning, really two verses that we're going to focus on. That we'll, we'll do more of that. More, we're going to read more verses as well, but we're going to focus on these two verses in Romans 12, 1 and two. So let's read it together. I appeal you to the. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing 
by, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So before we dig into the, these first two chapter, first two verses of Romans chapter twelve, let me give you some background on Romans. We haven't done like you know we're not doing a book study here where we've gone through the first eleven chapters or anything. So I want to I want I want to help you because I found it helpful. So the Apostle Paul is the writer of Romans, and in the first eleven chapters, Paul, the Apostle Paul lays out the doctrinal foundation for Christian life. And if you don't know what doctrine means, you know, it's a set of beliefs, okay? He basically sets out the set of beliefs in all of the first 11 chapters in Romans for our faith. It's a really helpful book. He unfolds what we believe and why we believe it, okay? He shares the good news of Jesus in great detail. He impacts things like God's mercy to undeserving sinners. He, gives a, he, he tells us how um, Jesus, that God gave his son to die for us how we can be made right by grace through faith, and how he sent us his, his uh, life-giving spirit, and how when we believe, we become part of his family, his heirs. And that, man, that's just, a, that's just a small portion of what those 11 chapters of what he lays out for us. In the second part of Romans, which is chapters 12 through 15, that's where he goes practical on us. I mean, he's totally all, it's about practical application. He spends time in these Romans chapters 12 through 15 describing what it looks like to live out our faith in our daily lives, okay? He shows us that the first 11 chapters weren't just to build up Bible knowledge so you can get ready for the next trivia night, and and the Bible trivia night, whatever. No, that's not what it's about. And you probably know that... um, if you've been here for the past year, um, I've been a lot of, I've spent a lot of time up here talking to you guys, that practical application is my favorite thing to talk about and the hardest thing to do, okay? I love the practical. My wife always says, man, come on, you got to think about all these different ideas and theoretical stuff, and I'm like, man, I just want to get real. Like, let's just get practical. How does it really work? How does, so I appreciate chapters 12 through 15. Um, 11, first, the 1 through 11 can be a little bit dry um, if you're a person like me, but it's so, it's so important. So how much of the Christian faith can we actually live out? So, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here and, and just move forward from my notes because I was like, oh man, I don't want to say that. But um, anyways, we, we want to be people who are allowing the word to transform the way we live, Okay. And so, so let's, let's use that as our launching point. Are you with me? We're good? Okay, that's a good background to get us started. So let's start. Romans 12, 1, and the first part of it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. I love how Paul starts Romans 12. He appeals to his fellow believers. He makes a request. He comes alongside the Roman Christians in a loving way, not as a condescending authority figure in the church who is giving a command, but as a brother in Christ. I think uh, we all like it when people talk to us this way, right? Um, I know my wife, she always, when we're communicating, she always says, I appreciate it when you come alongside me and talk with me about the situation, include me in the discussion, and don't just use your hands and get all passionate on me and try to get all commanding. When you come alongside and appeal to me about a situation, that, man, I, I just want to respond to that more. And Paul's doing that here. He's, he's saying, man, I want to partner with you in this. He, in a, he's he's going to plea with them to do something that is very hard, 
and it is something that he is already doing. Okay, he's not telling them, asking them to do something that he's not already doing. And I love that. I love that. Because I don't want to ever ask, I always, when I was in the financial business, I would tell people, I'd give them, hey, this is what I think we should do with your money. You know, they'd give me these millions of dollars, and, I, and I'd be like, man, that's a lot, a lot of responsibility. But I would tell them, hey, this idea, and that idea, and that idea. And then the one, one of the questions that a lot of times they ask me, are you invested in it? And I, so I, that, that's an important question. And I, I wouldn't encourage, I would tell people, hey, if I'm not invested at some level in this, I would, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, ask you to do it. And Paul's doing the same thing here. He's saying, man, I'm doing this. Hey, think about doing this. It's hard. It's, I'm not going to tell you it's easy. Man, I've been doing A lot of suffering has happened to me. But man, I'm bringing the gospel. I'm expanding God's kingdom. And I think that's important. So additionally, I think that it's pretty clear in Romans 12.1 functions as a hinge point in Paul's letter to the Romans. You know how I was telling you, first 11 chapters doctrine. The, last, the next three are the practical. The word therefore is like the pin in the hinge. I know if you guys know like a door frame and you, got that, you put the door, there's those little pins inside the three hinges, right? Okay, I think that the therefore here is, is that pin. First, we get giving all the doctrine in the first 11 chapters. It's like he's laying the framework. He's measuring the door frame. He's making sure everything is level. Okay, and then he places the door. Now, therefore, comes in, we place the pins, and then in chapter 12, he begins with the practical application, how we walk through the door, how we apply this great framework into our life, into our lives. It's almost like he says, if you take everything that I've been writing about, this is Paul, if you take everything that I've been writing about for 11 chapters into full consideration, here then is the appropriate response. What I'm going to say in the next three chapters is the appropriate response for you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. In some ways, he could be saying, here is how you, the Christian community in Manhattan, at Bluemont Church, should live because you have believed in Jesus. So let's move on to Romans 12.1 again. I appeal you to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul is saying, if you want to make your life count in the kingdom, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Again, he's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done. Point number one, offer your life to God. So if you, if you want to make your life count for the kingdom, you're going you're gonna to offer your life to God. Something very interesting is happening in this, this part of the verse, verse 1. Paul is using Old Testament language here, the living sacrifice language. You right, might remember that before Paul became a strong follower of Jesus, he was persecuting Jesus' followers. He was a big-time Jewish religious leader. He knew the Old, the Old Testament scriptures very well. And in this verse... I think he was picturing worshipers at the temple who come with an offering. Some, some offerings in the Old Testament were sin offerings, where a worshiper would bring like an animal or a bird, and the priest would offer it to God by shedding its blood for the forgiveness of their sins. But since Jesus died on the cross as, as our sin offering, it's clear that Paul is not calling us to a sin offering in this situation. But another kind of offering in the Old Testament was called a whole burnt offering. And this was from a valuable animal from one's flock. 
It had to be without defect, so holy and without blemish. And the animal was expensive monetarily and valuable for what it produced. When someone offered that animal to be burned, it was meant to symbolize a larger truth, that everything you have is at God's disposal. You didn't give God your leftovers, like whatever you have left over at the end of the month, or something you really didn't want anyway. The burnt offering was always burnt totally and represented complete surrender and devotion to God. And I think this is what Paul is trying to tell us here, that this was a whole burnt offering, not, like a, not the sin offering. And I think he's using this Old Testament language because that's what he grew up with. I mean, that's what I, I think as a, as a religious leader he understood, and he's trying to explain it to them. And he, uh, Paul's saying here to be a living sacrifice is to be fully at God's disposal, to be available and willing to obey God in whatever he asks or commands. Paul is calling us to like a serious level of commitment here. I mean, he's saying, give your best, give all of your life. I don't want the leftovers. God doesn't want your leftovers. He wants the best. He wants all of your life. You know, it, it reminds me of, um, and I don't know if they still do this, the phone companies, you know, they, they ask you to make a commitment, you know, hey, make this two-year commitment, you know, y'all give you a new phone, and then after the two years, you kind of then you reevaluate, you know. God, Paul's not asking us for that. He's saying, man, you did a living sacrifice. Like, make a commitment. Go all in. Do, the, do this, like, living sacrifice. That your life, your whole life would be a living sacrifice. The expression living sacrifice itself is, in some ways, I think, like an irony or a paradox, you could say. Um, I mean, we all know that the word living means, we know what the word living means, right? I mean, that people know what that means. But the word sacrifice means to kill something, to make it dead. So a living sacrifice describes, in a sense, a deliberate living killing. And this is probably what Jesus had in mind, I think, when he said in Luke 9, I'm going to, uh, Luke 9, 23, 24, it should be up there. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What is taking a cross back in those old days? If you took your cross, that means you were going to be killed, right? For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Interesting, this living sacrifice language. And maybe God was, Jesus was referring to this in Luke 9. To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice is to make a daily decision that my sinful and ungodly desires must die so that I can do, so I can be free to do with my body what God desires. In the same way that you once used your body to serve yourself and fulfill the lusts and passions of your flesh, Paul is calling us by the Spirit, in view of all that God has done for us, to now give God full control of your body, your eyes, your nose, your mouth, your ears, your hand and feet, your voice, your sexuality, your intellect and imagination. He is worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. Let's continue. Romans 12.1 and, and the first part of verse 2, the highlighted part. Do not be conformed to this world. So, Do not be conformed to, to this world is the next part. If you want to make your life count for the kingdom, point number two, you're going to have to go against the pattern of this world. You're going to have to go against what the, the direction that the world is going. This is what he's telling us. Don't be conformed to this world. 
I want to show you a brief one-minute video um, from The Chosen. I want, it's a, it's a, a series, and I love their intro, um, and so I wanted to just show that briefly to you. in there, the, the part I like about it is I always enjoy the fish going the opposite direction. I always think of, man, that's so cool. It's a different color fish, and they're kind of going in the opposite direction of everybody. And I think that, in some ways, that's how maybe Paul was thinking here. Like, hey, man, we're going to have to go opposite. You see how many fish were going in one direction? Then you had one fish. And then if you keep watching, the, if we keep watching it, then it's two fish. Then it's three fish. Then it's five, six fish. So the, the, the kingdom of God is expanding, and the fish are growing, and they're multiplying. They're multiplying, and they're going the opposite direction of this world. In 1 John, we get a great description of the world. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Man, that's hard. That's hard to hear that. For the world offers, and here we go, only a craving for physical pleasure a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. So let's see here. The world says, if something brings you pleasure, happiness, especially physical pleasure, embrace it. The world says, if you want something, get it, buy it, accumulate more material possessions. The world says, work hard to gain success, even at the expense of relationships. And if you need to, Use any means necessary to achieve these goals. According to the world, our purpose and goal in life should be to make more money, have nicer possessions, and continue to be promoted in our chosen professions. Now, I want to make it clear, I'm not saying that happiness, pleasure, material possessions, success are bad in all of them, in, 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 bad in, in and of themselves, but they shouldn't be our overarching focus. They shouldn't be the overarching focus. And in 1 John here, we're getting a real picture of like, hey, we got to be careful. we got to be careful to not let these things um, kind of blindside us and consume us, right? Consume us so many times. You, be, you know, I had a, one time, I was coaching a, a son, I was coaching the son of a basketball coach, um, and uh, he was a, a fairly successful basketball coach. And, I, you know, we was talking to him about his faith. And um, when I was talking to him, he said, hey, when I win, when I win this big championship, I'm going to come to Jesus. That's when I'm going to be ready to go all in for God. I'm not ready yet. Or, man, when I just get, when I just get this promotion to this level of job, then I, I know, man, then I'm going to serve God all, with all my heart. No, God wants you to serve him now. He wants you to go all in now. You know, he wants you to go, not when I, you know, or hey, when, after I graduate, when I get all A's and I get my job, then I'll serve God fully. No. He wants us to go all in now. 
God understands the toxicity of the world in which we live, and he offers something different. In James 1.27, he tells believers to keep from being polluted by the world. The pull to follow the popular culture and manner of thinking that is in, the, in, is it, that is in rebellion against God is very strong. The world will try to conform us to its ungodly pattern, and that process must be resisted. We are called to live differently. You know, I always find it interesting that everyone talks about these days about valuing differences and accepting them, but the world generally doesn't. So it's tough when we're different. A lot of times it feels like me against everyone else. I'm sure that you guys may have felt that way before. That's hard, and that can be discouraging. You know, that can be really discouraging. I was uh, in Kansas City this week, and I was meeting, meeting with a uh, successful businessman, and we were talking, and he was telling me about the challenges of going against the culture with his sixth grader. His sixth grader is, uh, you know, I, I would say a fairly, uh, fairly successful uh, baseball player for a sixth grader, and... Uh, <laughs> You know, he's on one of those traveling teams that goes all around as a sixth grader. I'm like, dang, that's a lot of, he spent a lot of money and all that other stuff to do that. But anyways, he was telling me how all the kids on his son's team have phones. And how he doesn't think necessarily that that's a good idea at sixth grade for his son to have a phone because of all the different things that come with that. You know, and, and I think about when I was a, his age, if I had um, a cell phone, I would have gotten in a lot of trouble. I would have got, I mean, I think it's hard for young people these days. Anyways, he's, he's constantly uh, fighting with his son, who's like, man, dad, everybody has one. I need one. How can I not have one? You know, everybody, and, he's, and, he's, and him and his wife are, they don't want him to have one. There, there, there's a lot of concerns, too much video games, porn in a box, basically. I mean, all these things that a sixth grader shouldn't have to deal with at, at sixth grade. So they're feeling like, man, they're going against the culture. He's like, there's parents on the team that are like, why don't you get Joey a phone, you know, or whatever. I mean, it's like, they're constantly, he's like, and I don't want my, he's like, Rich, I don't want my son to resent me. I don't want my son to resent me. Like, I did it, we never, and, and so he's really in a struggle right now, going against the grain of where cultures, like everybody on his team, man, they all got phones. And he's pushing against that, and, and him and his wife, and it's hard. It's a hard, it's a hard battle for him. Um, and I'm not trying to evaluate. Some people, they need phones at sixth grade. I don't, I'm not going to tell you that it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you this guy, he's fighting with that, okay? He's fighting with that struggle right now. You know, we're called to live holy and acceptable to God, so we have to know what the kingdom worldview is. We have to hear, read, pray, study, meditate, and memorize. We can't stand firm on what God wants if we don't know what it is. I mean, that's, and that's where that first 11 chapters in Romans is really helpful. You know, when opportunities like the Knowing God class come up, or this summer, that real-life discipleship training that Jonathan was talking about doing, you have to jump at these things. I mean, these are what's going to help you live not of this world and, get, and, and break out, break out. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to do these things. These are opportunities to grow. The opportunity to go to Poland, it's not just to go on a nice little trip and a field trip. It's an opportunity to grow your faith, to continue to grow into spiritual maturity. We don't want to do these things just to, hey, let's just go on a fun trip. I mean, I'm, I don't want to do that. So I know other people may. Um, 
If you want to make your life count for the kingdom, point number three, renew your mind. So that's the next part of the verse there. It says, do not be conformed to this world, verse two, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Notice that Paul doesn't say, transform yourselves. He's not calling us to a new level of anxiety or persistent worry. He says, be transformed. Having called us to offer our bodies, Paul now turns toward our minds. And he is telling us we, cannot, we can be transformed by renewing our intellect and our imagination. Earlier in, in Romans 1.28, Paul describes those who refuse to acknowledge or to worship God. He says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Wow, debased mind. That doesn't sound good. We'll maybe get there in a minute. Then in Romans 8, 6 through 8, it says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Okay, he's giving us a, a, little, a little counter there. Flesh, death, mind on the spirit, life and peace. Okay, I think we would all like life and peace, right? For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Hostile. Wow, it's not good. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It's not just that it won't, it cannot. Oh, wow. So when we choose to ignore God, he lets us live with a mind, and this is what debased means, that is reduced in quality or value. So I, I was, when I read that first verse, Romans one twenty eight, debased mind, I was like, what does that exactly mean? I went and looked it up, and it's reduced in quality or value. Man, I don't want that kind of mind. Debased mind? Wow. You see, when we begin with a debased mind, because of our separate, we begin with that because of our separation from God by sin. So the governing influence of our minds needs to be recalibrated. Our imagination needs to be captured by Christ. The operating system that controls our fundamental thought process needs to be replaced, and a new one needs to be downloaded. One that is given by God's Spirit and informed by God's Word. Man. That's like when we get our phones, man, they constantly want to update them, right? With new information, right? It's almost like we don't just need an update. We need like, hey, let me get rid of this operating system and get a whole new one. You know, a new operating system for our minds, right? If your mind isn't on the things of God, but of this world, you will remain hostile to God. And in John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. He's telling us that we can get right with God by learning his word because it, it is the truth. That his word is the truth. Again, we, have to, we are reprogramming programming our mind with his word. In, in, uh, Paul writes to the believers in Ephesus in, four, in verse 423, or chapter 24, verse 23, Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And he's highlighting this quite a bit. Paul, this was a big topic for Paul. He then exhorts the believers in Philippi in Philippians 4.8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Probably think about these things. Talk about these things. You know, these are the kind of things that... Paul is saying, man, focus on these things. I tried last night, I tried to use this on my, uh, one of my daughters. 
she has had, she has, she's in, lately she's been talking about a lot of coarse things, like just kind of rough, and she loves, she loves, loves, um, she, I won't tell you which one it is, so you don't embarrass her, but she just loves to call people butt cheeks, and um, I'm like, you know, and I, so I tried to use this verse on her, I said, hey, you know, man, any word, man, why, you got to say things that are worthy of praise. To say, think about things that are good. Why are you calling people butt cheeks? That's not like the greatest thing to call people. This is not, and, and really, this verse probably doesn't really apply that great. But I, I, was, still, I was just thinking, like, you got to change your language, you know, and she said some other things she was saying that would embarrass her further, so I don't want to do that here. But I was just like, dang, like, let's think about good things, worthy of praise, excellent, commendable, lovely, pure, just, honorable, true. This is great. That's great stuff. Man, we need to think about that stuff. Clearly, Paul is talking about an inside job that he wants to happen here. God wants to change us from the inside out. He's not seeking that external conformity. He wants inward transformation. He wants our mind to be reprogrammed by the word, by the truth. He wants to clean up our old ways and patterns of thinking. He knows if we're going to continue to expand his kingdom on the earth, he doesn't just need people who have made a decision to believe in Jesus, but he needs disciples to expand the kingdom of God. He needs people that are all in, that are wanting to grow, that are wanting to develop and renew their minds. People who have come to spiritual maturity. You know, why does all this matter? I mean, you know, we're talking about all this stuff, making your life count, you know, Jesus ushered in his kingdom, and he needed followers who were all in to help with the expansion of that kingdom, okay? And I don't think if you're just, uh, hey, I I made a good decision to follow Jesus, and that's all you ever do, I don't think you're going to help, be able to help in the expansion of the kingdom of God. It's not really, you're not really getting the tools to really help you, and you're not renewing your mind to help you. You know, to get, if you're like, hey, you're an athlete and you, and you say, okay, I'm going to come on the team. But then you're not willing to work out. You're not willing to get up early and watch film. You're not willing to do what the coaches are asking you to do to grow and to, to develop your body, develop your mind. How, how are you going to really be useful to the team? You know? I mean, a lot of kids in Fort Scott, when I was there working with those football players, a lot of them didn't want to get up in the morning. A lot of them didn't want to go work out and do what the strength coach was telling them to do or eat, put the right stuff in their body so they could have the energy to go out and and perform what they needed to perform. And let's not even get to the idea of like talking back to coaches and just not wanting to listen to what the coach is saying. I mean, come on, how are you going to grow if you always don't want to listen to the coaches? If you want to be useful, you got to get trained. We want to create, you know, I think it's like, it's like we want to expand the kingdom till it reaches the ends of the earth, like the Bible talks about, and to help create kingdom systems in healthcare, economics, finance, engineering, farm sciences, athletics, education. This isn't so, being, a, being like accepting Jesus isn't just so like we can just live a good, safe life. It's to expand his kingdom. And if you want your life to count for the kingdom, you're going to have to offer your life to God, fully living sacrifice. You're going to have to go against the patterns of this world. And that may put you in conflict with people. It may cause you to feel, ugh, that's so hard. And then it may, it, you have to renew your mind. 
He challenged the Colossian Christians in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We're going to have to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. I'm wrapping up here. Psalms 119.97 through 100. It says, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. If we're going to make our life count, we're going to have to... We're going to have to love His law. We're going to have to try to understand His law. We're going to have to try to live it out as best as we can, apply it to our life. You know, I want you, as we're closing, just consider these things. You know, have you offered, you know, have you offered your life as a living sacrifice? And if you haven't, why not? Consider that. Where are you living of this world? What, what, maybe there's an area of your life that you're like, man, you know what? I'm not really living for God in this area. Where is that? How can you change that? Do you need help? Do you need to talk to somebody to get help? Can you change it? Do you need some truth from the Bible? You know, where, what are you going to do to renew your mind? You know, maybe you need to get in a kingdom living group, one kingdom living one, kingdom living two. Maybe you join that real life discipleship groups from this summer. You know, maybe there's something different. But ultimately, how much of the word are you going to be able to live out? You know, and and I think that Paul is trying to tell us here, the first 11 chapters, here it is. Here's the framework. Now these last three chapters, man, here's the practical application. How much are you going to let these things work together? How much are you going to put to work in your life? Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time. Father, thank you for your word. It's so, Father, so rich. And it's some, it's sometimes it's so simple, but it, it's just so hard to live out. I just pray that you would give us the faith, the courage to live it out. To live it out in our lives, Lord God. To be transformed. To go against the patterns of this world. To, to renew our minds. To get our minds washed with your word and your, and your truth. Help to, help to put your truth in our minds, Father God. And then help us to have the faith to just live it out. To just to have the courage to live it out with our brothers and sisters around us, Lord God. Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that you are putting us in a position to grow, to grow your kingdom, Lord God, here in Manhattan, Kansas. In Jesus' name, amen.